Welcome to The Path to Exit, a podcast to help software and internet founders understand the process to raise capital or sell their business. Hello and welcome, everyone. I'm Mike Lyon, founder and managing director of VistaPoint Advisors, and this is The Path to Exit. This show is dedicated to helping founders of software and internet businesses understand what it takes to raise capital or sell their business and how to do it well. My guest today is Jeff Coons, Managing Director and Founding Member at VistaPoint Advisors. In today's episode, we'll discuss the fintechization of vertical SaaS, how buyers think about these opportunities, and how companies can capitalize on this trend and not hand all the upside to buyers and private equity firms. Please enjoy my discussion with Jeff. One of the biggest trends we've seen in vertical SaaS over the past five years is the fintechization of vertical SaaS. When a SaaS product, especially a vertical SaaS solution, interacts directly with a SaaS user's end customer, it gives the SaaS provider an opportunity to integrate payments or other fintech products directly into the product. Private equity firms have been at the forefront of this trend, and it's a very common playbook that they run to provide immediate uplift in revenue, EBITDA, and retention rates. Almost all PE firms have a payment platform, and these businesses are characterized by being high EBITDA margins, but not as sticky. SaaS businesses, on the other hand, typically have highly recurring, but not high EBITDA margin businesses. Combining these two business models can have a dramatic impact on the value of your business. We'll talk primarily about the payments angle here, but do note that there are other fintech products that can make sense. Jeff, get us started here. Talk to us about an example of a business with a payments opportunity. What does that look like? Yeah, thanks, Mike, and uh, thrilled uh, to be back here on the path to exit. So what we typically see for businesses that are set up well for payments are simply companies that take a lot of credit card volume. So people are paying with their credit card frequently. B2C companies are very obvious. So, you know, the Spotify's of the world. But in our world, typically what we see are a lot of B2B2C companies. And a great example of this would be like a field service management software business. So let's say it's a platform that helps roofers run their roofing business. They are going to be providing workflow solutions at the customer's house. And then that customer is going to pay them with a credit card. And that is the transaction flow that then the software company is able to monetize. And it's interesting because a lot of the founders of these SaaS businesses, they understand their end market really well. So, for example, in that scenario Jeff gave, it might be someone who is really good at managing a roofing business who built their own product to kind of manage their business. And then they realized, hey, I could productize this and sell it to roofers across the U.S. But they're generally not that well versed in the payment side. So they're product people first, which is why you see a lot of this not taking place when the founders do it by themselves. So you've shown us a good example of talking about a business where, you know, you could have a payments angle. Maybe talk about some types of SaaS businesses where there's probably not this fintech angle. And what should founders be looking out just to know that maybe there's not an opportunity in their business? Yeah, I would say any business that's just purely outside of the payment flow. So if you're a messaging product, there's just no payments that are going to go through that. Otherwise, we typically see like really big B2B type software businesses not have that same dynamic. Because if you're selling a $150,000 software subscription, that's going to be a wire or ACH, nobody's taking a credit card for that. And so it just limits your monetization on the payment side. And I think you hit it really well up front. A lot of these you see B to B to C, meaning, you know, you're a SaaS business selling to a business, and then that business has kind of a consumer on the end. That C part is usually what tells you that you're able to have a payments option. And, and it makes sense, right, Mike? Because those consumers want to pay with a credit card. And so if you're that business trying to be the best roofing business possible, you want to offer your customers an easy way to pay. Absolutely. 
maybe talk a little bit about the minimum payment volume that you could have through your platform before it would make sense to kind of go build all this tech and product that we're going to talk about in a few minutes. How do you think about what's a good volume to have in your platform before it makes sense to try and monetize? Yeah, where we typically see our clients start to get a lot of value for this either today or somebody can project that value because of what they'll do if they own the business is normally around about $20 million a month or call it $200 million plus a year in annual payment volume. At that point, you really start to get a lot of benefit, both in terms of revenue and EBITDA. Below that, you, you can definitely make some money. You can improve your business, but it tends not to be a valuation driver and you just don't get as much credit because the opportunity is smaller. In terms of businesses that we worked with who have had this payments angle and started to monetize it a bit, I think on average, we've seen about a one to two X turn on the multiple. So meaning if the revenue multiple or AR multiple is 12, we might see those businesses trade for 13 or 14 times if they have that payments angle. And it depends on how far they've implemented. Obviously, if they fully implemented it, there's not really any upside left for the buyer, but you do have that revenue. Everybody knows the software margins are pretty tough until you're big, right? From just a net income or EBITDA margin standpoint, if you're able to monetize the payments, again, the cost to the software company is pretty small. And so a lot of that revenue goes right to the bottom line. And so you can have a business with a good payment stream go from maybe losing a million dollars to break even or slightly profit. And that really matters in today's market. Another thing I would just mention, most private equity firms, when they do their calls with you, are trying to suss out this opportunity. I would say if you're an obvious candidate for this and you're having calls with private equity firms who don't bring up this concept or aren't trying to get at the size of the opportunity, I think it's a pretty bad sign for them being a value buyer. This is a pretty vanilla playbook right now. Um, it's a well-known playbook by private equity firms. It almost always yields good returns. So you can almost use this as a test of the partner, if you will. Meaning if they're not really talking about this, it's probably a good sign that they're not the best private equity firm to work with in terms of value add and frankly, what they'll pay for your business. Could you maybe walk us through the economics for the, the payments for vertical SaaS? So how big is the opportunity? How should you think about splitting up the economics for the various stakeholders? And just kind of walk founders through that. It is a complicated and nuanced world, to be clear. As always, complication tends to work to the benefit of the person who it's complicated for. In this instance, the networks, uh, the card networks, the issuing bank, the acquiring processor. But let me do my best to make it simple. So if you look at a Stripe or an Authorized.net or a Square, you'll see what their fees are. And typically those fees will be 2.9%, somewhere around there, and then plus like a 30 cent per transaction fee. So simply, that means if I have a $100 transaction going through, I'm going to have $2.90 in a, quote, processing fee, and then $0.30 cents for that one transaction. Now, that money gets split up amongst a few different constituents along the way. The first part of that is going to be the actual card networks themselves. So that's Visa, MasterCard, American Express. These folks all publish their rates, and they're typically 0.14% plus half a penny, something like that. And so that's the first deduct from that $2.90 plus the transaction fee we just talked about. The next stop is the bank or the issuing bank. And this is where this concept called interchange comes in. Interchange is different from different banks, but typically you can think of it as between 100 to 200 basis points or 1% to 2%. And then they'll also have typically a 10 cent type transaction fee. This is where the bank, who is taking the risk on the payments, this is their take. And then there's the final part of the puzzle here, which is going to be the merchant acquirer and the acquiring processor. And they're going to take around 1% or essentially what's left. 
And so you can see there's three different constituents who are taking cuts of that 2.9% and 30 cent transaction fee. And what happens with the SaaS companies who do this well, they basically split the amount above interchange. So you have the network fee and then interchange. And let's say that's 2%, right? Then you're going to have this 0.9% left over. And that's what you can ultimately split with different partners. And uh, yeah, I think a way to think about this is you can further integrate into the value chain. As Jeff's saying, if you can negotiate with the PayFact, what percent of that residual amount does the SaaS company get versus the PayFact? What you'll see some of the private equity firms do is they own their own pay facts, so they take all of those economics. And obviously, it's just a matter of leverage, right? If you have a lot of volume, you can probably negotiate better terms. But I think it's important for you to understand the economics of this. Even if you don't implement any of this in your business, let's say you have a payments opportunity, but you haven't implemented it. When you go to sell your business, know that that's what the buyers are thinking about. So that's a synergy for them in the deal. And it's actually a pretty low risk synergy. So I think you need to understand those economics, A, to suss out, is it worth it to go build the infrastructure to do this. And the other thing you should know is this is all high margin. So if you do partner with a payfact, you don't really have very much expense and whatever percentage of that 1% you get basically all drops out of the bottom line. Yeah. And, and just to round this out so people have explicit numbers here, our clients, what their take after all said and done, if it's nascent, maybe small, they're just starting on payments, it'll be, you know, 20 basis points, so 0.2%. But then there's a lot of these PE firms that they have these payment specialists and all these people do is negotiate these contracts. And there's all these different levers that they can pull in terms of volume, card present, card not present, taking on fraud risk, not taking on fraud risk. And so they can get these things to 90 basis points, 100 basis points, 120 basis points. And so you can imagine at scale, let's say you're generating $2 million in payments revenue that, as Mike said, is almost all EBITDA, and you can 6x that. That's really, really valuable. It's technical and hard to do, and there's things about your contract that may preclude some of this, but know that it is a really valuable opportunity. And so if, if a founder has a business where this is an opportunity, but they're not monetizing and have any infrastructure at all, what's the first step to try and capture some of these economics, do you think? Yeah. So again, most of the businesses that it makes sense to implement, they'll know that they are supporting the transaction in some way. So they'll have a checkout page or typically they're already going to be using somebody like a Stripe Connect, an Authorize.net, a WePay, whatever it happens to be. And that's where you would start, right? Just enabling the payment processing, collecting the credit card information and flowing that through. The next step is to go to Stripe and say, I want to either become the payfac or I want to take on more of this risk. And that's when they'll start to share the economics with you. And that would be the first place I would start. For what it's worth, I would say our more technology-leaning clients tend to prefer Stripe. My understanding is the technology uh, offering is much better with Stripe and Stripe Connect, but the economics are a little bit suboptimal. And so as you think about a provider, th that's anecdotally some of what we've heard from our clients who have recently gone through this. And this has become so prevalent in terms of a private equity playbook. Well, they'll buy this vertically SaaS-oriented business who's not monetizing payments or, very, or you're monetizing it to a small degree, and then basically they'll attack more of the economics. And that, in general, hurts the existing payfacts that are in the market. So one thing to be aware of, one of the most important things you can do when you're negotiating with a payfact, if you decide to do this yourself, is not limit yourself too much. So these payfacts have gotten really smart, and they're going back, and they might be giving slightly better economics, but they're putting terms in that make it really hard for you to then port the customer to a different platform. And so having really good advice on that, you can actually take what's a big opportunity and by trying to monetize a small part of it, give up a lot of the upside. 
So Jeff, talk us through a couple of terms that if you're going to sign a contract, you should be leery of. Because remember, ideally, you're going to sell the business to someone who can monetize it to a higher degree, and you want to leave that flexibility open for that buyer. It's a really, really good point, Mike. I mean, when we're when we're pitching opportunities that have this payment opportunity, the first question we get from the private equity firm or the buyer will be, what is the term of the contract? When does it come up? And so the first part would just be, how long is the contract for? Shorter is better. The second part would be, is there a non-solicit or non-compete or exclusivity arrangement that even if you have a short-term contract, anybody who was acquired onto that, let's just say Stripe platform during the period that contract was in effect, that is always going to be Stripe at that point. You are contractually precluded from moving them to authorize.net or PayPal, whatever it happens to be. And so that what you'll call a non-solicit or an exclusivity is really, really important. And it might seem counterintuitive, but if you're looking to sell the company or looking for a liquidity event, you should give up economics to retain contract flexibility. Mike, I think you put that incredibly well. You might eke out a little bit more short-term value, but you're really handicapping the longer-term value because you just can't actually move that base of revenue. Absolutely. A really good example of this. We were working with a field services business, great buyer in the sector who we had done other deals with, got into diligence with our client, and they actually had to pass on the opportunity because they knew they were going to exit their portfolio company in the next 12 months. But the way our client's contract was written, they couldn't get any synergy value from the deal in the next 12 months. So they just couldn't afford to pay a market clearing price because they weren't going to be able to capture any of those synergies. So really important to think through that contract and don't just think about the short-term economic value, think about the long-term value. Another point I would just mention here is we've talked a lot about payments, but there's other fintech products. So Jeff mentioned the roofing vertical, which is actually a great example because, as you know, roofs can be quite expensive and not everyone can pay with those for a credit card. So sometimes loan products can be incorporated. And the value that the roofer has when they're selling their product is if they can provide financing on the spot to the consumer who maybe can't afford to pay for that with a credit card, that improves their chances to close a sale and also participate in some of the economics. So be on the lookout. There's insurance products, there's loyalty products. Credit card is the most common one, easy one to understand. But if your business has higher purchase price items for the consumer, there's likely some other products there. And Jeff, maybe just mention a couple of other clients and their business models that we've worked with that have had a big payments opportunity, verticals, just to give people a sense for how deep this goes. I think that you've been pretty active in the field service verticals. So a couple of those that come to mind, uh, Service Autopilot, Brio Stack, Leap, those were all field service businesses. We did a, a deal for a company called Smart Moving, which was an ERP for moving companies. Again, you have a consumer writing a credit card to the mover, uh, to the moving company, really great payments opportunity there. We represented a business called Veraship in the logistics optimization space where they were collecting a lot of payments revenue as kind of a flow through and they were able to monetize that. And then recently we advised a company called Hostaway, which was in uh, short term vacation rental software. And they had a really great payment stream and the same idea where they have consumers looking to book their short term vacation rental in wherever they're going to pay with credit card. And that money is going to flow through that core business management platform. And we're going to be able to clip the coupon along the way. All of these are opportunities in different verticals, but they all have that same dynamic where they're getting a lot of credit card type revenue flow through their business, even if they're not the ultimate beneficiaries of that revenue. And there's lots of examples where this can be an opportunity for you. 
So in closing, I think we want you to understand the economics of these opportunities, either so A, you can go and implement some degree of that to get some of those economics, right, and make your business more valuable, or B, at least understand the value the buyer sees in that. So when you're negotiating with them, you can get some credit for that because you've done a lot of the work. So it's a big opportunity. Definitely pay attention to it. And finally, if you do implement this, be really careful about the contract terms because you might inadvertently give away some more of the upside. And so you just want to make sure you're buttoned up on that. Jeff, thanks for your time. Vistapoint Advisors is a founder-focused investment bank that advises software and internet founders through M&A and capital raise transactions. We are a fully unconflicted investment bank who only works for founders on the sell side. So you know that we're always representing your best interests. Securities offered through Vistapoint Advisors, member FINRA, CIPIC. This has been provided for informational purposes only. It is not intended to address all circumstances that might arise. Testimonials from past clients may not be representative of the experience of other clients, and there is no guarantee of future performance or success. Clients are not compensated for their comments. If you have any questions about the process of selling your business or raising capital, reach out to a member of our team, or check out the Four Founders section of our site by visiting fourfounders.guide.